You are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, our theme verse for this episode of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In this episode, the continuation of the series called Remember, which is a survey of 2 Peter. The message is titled Retain God's Truth, and we'll deal with the importance of knowing God's Word to be able to recognize and reject false teaching. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. As Mandy led us and with Maria's help, what truth are you standing on? Because you are standing somewhere. What is the truth you're standing on? We continue this morning our survey of the letter of 2 Peter. Do you know the name? What's the name of the series? Remember. Do you remember? (laughs) This letter was likely written between A.D. 65 and 68 toward the end of Peter's life. Uh, We know that because Peter was martyred in Rome, tradition believes, at the end of Nero's reign. Nero martyred him and Nero died in A.D. 65. The writing of this second letter was motivated... Well, you tell me, what, what, what motivated his writing this letter? What were the problems? False teaching. That's the occasion of it. Every letter has a purpose. So they're not just all to spread the gospel. They, they do spread the gospel, but each letter has a specific purpose, a specific setting, a specific circumstances. And so not all of them apply directly to us. So we have to make some adjustments as we look at these letters, this by Peter, other letters by Paul and James. Today's message is entitled, Retain God's Truth. And retain just means, again, remember, hold on to. The theme, you can take out your program if you haven't already. Part of 2 Peter 1 verse 12 says, you are standing firm. And the truth you have been taught. Peter knew that these believers to whom he wrote needed to know the truth so that they could recognize and reject what was false, so that they could point out the false teaching. And so he reminded them, but he's also reminding us to stand firm in God's truth. Our culture is throwing out many, many lies, even about spiritual matters. Can we recognize it? Do we know how to reject it? He stressed the authenticity and the authority of the Word of God. (laughs) Because the only way to combat heresy, which again is false teaching is to know the truth. In particular, one of the things that the false teachers were saying was that immoral physical acts did not affect the spiritual nature. And so they remained in good standing with God no matter what they did in the body. So there was um, much promiscuous sex, but they were being told, oh, you're fine. It's like, a, it's like a, a pearl dropped in the mud, and the pearl is untouched and still pure. But that's not what God says. God says that even that sexual sin 
maybe the worst of all, I'm adding that in because it's sin against our own bodies. These deceivers also declared that Jesus was not going to come back. And so that caused people to doubt whether there was any judgment coming their way. It also made them question everything they'd been taught because the gospel teaching had consistently said that Jesus is returning, he will usher in his kingdom, but he also brings judgment. Now, why is this appropriate for today? Or do you think it's appropriate for today? Well, why? Why would you think it's appropriate for today? It's written so many, you know, 2,000 years ago. They are the same problems. Because, particularly in our culture, but unfortunately even in the church, parts of the church, there's a teaching that God's love is indulgent of sin. That God loves you so much that he really is, you know, moral standards are really unimportant to him are not included, and there's no real expectation of holiness on our parts. You heard that? You know, I was surprised to hear just yesterday that a church in Chicago was having a drag queen pray with the children in the service, and I thought, what? And I wanted to be sure that that was right, so I googled it early this morning to see where did this happen, and is that true? And what came up is that there's a church in Greenville doing that, too. Not in the service, but uh, another day of the week. And that's portrayed as God's loving inclusivity. And that kind of sounds good, doesn't it? Is it tickling our ears? Yes, but it, but it sounds good that God is so loving of us that it doesn't matter. Now, a lot of us grew up with uh, real harsh preaching, or at least we, we can characterize it that way, and it sounded like the pastor was always mad. Well, the truth was, he probably was mad. But we've, we've moved so far away from holiness, the holiness of God, that we've made God whomever we want him to be. Now, how could God be an expression of our preferences, and he be God. Because if that's true, then I'm actually more defined than he is. But whereas we may have some equivocation, some ambivalence about something, God's not unsure about anything. And Christianity, we've characterized as just this open invitation to go to heaven if you want to. But in reality, Christianity is an invitation into a relationship with God that results in heaven. Do you think that's right? Or do you think it's just an invitation into heaven and nothing else connected? Because if it's a relationship, how many relationships do you have where you have no expectations of anything from the other person? What kind of marriage would that be? Oh, I love you so much, I'm going to marry you. You can do whatever you want with whomever you want, how many times you want. Anybody think that's a good idea? Then why do we attribute that kind of love to God? When God's 
sense of right and wrong are, is more clear than ours. Like the believers who received Peter's letter, we too need to be, to be reminded to stand firm in God's truth. Now, I didn't say stand angrily in God's truth, did I? There's a difference. The anger of man doesn't carry out the righteousness of God, is what the Scripture says. So I'm never talking about us mistreating someone, attacking someone, shouting at someone, being angry. But being firm is very different. Now, someone may not like your position, but you can be kind, even gentle, even mild, and firm. You think that's possible? Because sometimes some of us are just afraid to stand on anything because we're afraid someone might dislike us or criticize us or step away from us. But that's not standing firm, is it? And our culture, particularly now, needs some people who stand, what? Not angrily, not furious, not fighting, not criticizing, not throwing rocks, not battling, stating truth, plainly. So let's begin by reflecting on Peter's reasons for trusting and following God's Word. At least three in this passage that we'll deal with today. First, the, the reliability of God's truth is reinforced by reminders from trusted people. This is how it gets started for most of us. So we start at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. And in this Bible available here, it's not page 982. Therefore, now remember, it, he, he's continuing what he has just said. And what he's just talked about was the promises, the wonderful promises of salvation and spiritual blessings and Christ-like character and eternal reward. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. See, Peter wants to make sure that these people will not be seduced by false beliefs. They were subtle and they were persuasive. I mean, I don't have to convince you that, that encouragement toward immorality is persuasive, do I? It's all too persuasive because it, it activates our own immoral desires, whatever is left over from the, the flesh, the sarks. And so people can say things that then is reinforced by fallen human desires, and that's what they were doing. So we have to be very sure that we're being guided by what God says. Verse 13, and it is only right that I should keep on reminding you for as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. Now the scripture doesn't report when. You say, but no, Jesus told him he would hold out his hands and he would be led where he didn't want to go at the end of, what was it, John 21, I think. It, he does say that. But, but, John, but Peter lived for probably at least three or four decades after that. So he did talk about the fact that it, it does seem to imply that he would be put to death. 
Some say it even implies crucifixion. Maybe. But we believe from this passage that Jesus actually let him know your days are numbered. But the scripture doesn't reveal that to us. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. Was Peter worried about his death, his impending death? What do you think? I don't think so. Um, he knew his life would continue in heaven. Now, we, we haven't been to heaven and come back. So it's, it's normal, and I don't think it's a lack of faith to have some anxiety when you get a bad report. That doesn't mean a lack of faith. Um, but Peter understood that. But he was more concerned, he didn't want to die, but he was still more concerned about preparing these believers for his departure. And what he would do is remind them what they'd been taught, which would protect them from the destructive teaching that was entering the churches. You know, sometimes, and there, there may be someone here who's been given, you know, a, a, a set amount of time to live, but most of us don't know that. But the question still remains, are we using the time we have to encourage and influence the faith of loved ones? I mean, I, I'm 64. I don't, I don't know how long I have. I hope I have a couple of decades. And so do you. But we don't know that. But you know, I've got, goodness, I have four grandchildren now. I don't know where they're coming from. <laughs> it's like an assembly line. But, but now this may sound sentimental to you. It may even sound sort of maudlin or morbid. So indulge me. I'm an old guy. But when I look at this, I've got a seven-month-old little girl now, three boys and a little girl. And when I hold her, I think about, am I going to be around when she's married? Will I see all of them go to college or, you know, enter work? And, and have, Do you ever think, any of you old folks like me, do you ever think like that? Yeah. So, I know that the path ahead of me is shorter than the one behind me. But there's some things I want to accomplish, aren't there, for you? And so, I try to be diligent to put in my kids the things that I want them to know from me. And we, we already pray and we read Bible story books along with truck books. My three boys like construction books, but we'll, we have some children's Bible story books too, and so when we do the tuck-ins, but I always tell them I, I love them, but that's kind of about me. But I also tell them I'm proud of them because that's about them. And you say, well, how old are they? Well, one's five years old, and he's heard it so much, he says, I know, Pop, Pop. <laughs> but you know what? One day, 
Pop-Pop won't be around. And he'll remember that voice saying, I'm proud of you. You have value. The two-and-a-half-year-old, he doesn't quite get it, but he knows it feels right. You know, the 17-month-old doesn't get it yet, but he's hearing it. And the seven-month-old doesn't get it yet. But I'm going to keep saying it. Every time, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I did that to my daughters. I'm proud of you. I didn't parent perfectly. But they knew, not only I loved them, I was proud of them. We only have so much time. But what we say affects their character. And you know, this morning after I said this in this early service, I got a text and someone reminded me, about what a wonderful job this staff had done in this tragedy of a month ago. He said, tell them, you need to be sure and tell them. I'll, so I'm saying right now, and I'm proud and you should be proud of the marvelous job this staff did in a crisis one month ago when that shooting happened. So forgive me that I didn't say that earlier. They care, they care about this community. So we should always be influencing the faith of those we love and those who we will leave behind to prepare them. I still hear my mother's voice. If your mother or father's passed, do you still hear their voice? Sometimes you hear it, but it wasn't something good. But we need to hear it. And so Peter cared that he knew he was going to die, but he was not going to fail to communicate this message that would be so important when these people he loved would face the threats and the temptations of this world. Some of y'all are older than me. <laughs> we're, we're not going to be around to hold this world together. Are you ready? Are you younger folks ready? But those of us that are older, have we prepared these younger folks so that they can recognize and reject what this culture is telling them? The people to whom Peter wrote trusted him. And so we have our children and our grandchildren's minds and hearts because they, they trust us. Peter they knew his character. They knew his conviction. He had worked among them selflessly. He taught the gospel. He helped them grow. And so they knew this man and they trusted him. And they believed what he said about the Bible. You know what? I believed what my mother told me about the Bible. I knew her life. So it got into my mind and heart unfiltered. Look at 2 Timothy. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you, look at this now, the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. We have to prepare our children in advance of receiving the gospel. You understand that? Sometimes we think it's just a one-step thing. No, it isn't. 
It's a continual thing that we etch into their minds and hearts. The need to know Christ, the need to be born again, the need to be forgiven. And then when God's Spirit reveals it, they're ready to receive it. They're ready to receive it. Today, the problem is false teaching permeates our culture. It isn't, it isn't only in the church. See, Peter was writing, and most of the teaching about the gospel, about Christianity, all those things, were, were localized in the church. Not today. What we're seeing today is a proliferation of celebrities through a variety of media addressing spiritual subjects in unbiblical ways. Have you seen it? They don't even hesitate. They don't hide it. They have declared themselves authorities on God and faith and heaven and the eternity. Can you recognize it when they go off track? This false teaching penetrates our homes. It affects our thinking. And it's particularly about morality. Again, humans, the flesh, have have a tendency to to something sinful, to lust. There's some sensitivity there because we're, we're in a process of sanctification. So when these things are said, they can stick. You say, say, oh, it doesn't affect me. It does affect you. There may be a rare one that it doesn't affect, but if you immerse yourself in it enough, it is going to affect you. And with our children, it's affecting them. All these little statements, all their celebrities saying this, saying that, oh, I got this, I got, oh, I've got these children, and, you know, I'm, you know, we know this, the immorality is just proliferates, and there's, there's no concept of waiting on children until after you're married or, in, or including sex, which is a beautiful thing, endorsed by God in a, right, in a certain place. A man and a woman in marriage. Nowhere else. Well, that seems too restrictive. Well, that's God's restriction. Does he get to set it is the question. Or do we set it? Because if we're setting it, then we're God, not him. How could we dictate to God what's right and what's wrong? You have to be alert to protect your children. It's exhausting. You know, when my kids were young, we had this um, device. They called it, laughingly, the cuss box. Any of y'all know what a cuss box is? And so we'd wire that sucker in, you know. And so whenever something on TV, if it said sex, it would blank out the word and it would say hugs. Or if there was some, if there was some curse word, it would say something else, you know. And so my children, they were delighted by that thing. I mean, they were embarrassed by it too. But you know what? That kind of vigilance, and I... I don't know. I mean, those of you that know me personally know I'm not a stern, scolding guy. But my children understood where right and wrong was, and they were able to enter marriage in an appropriate way. But we've got to protect them. We've got to protect them. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. 
you know, when stuff would go crazy, I mean, my kids, you know, they finished public school and all that. But I showed up. If there was something crazy going on in a class, you know, or something with a teacher, I showed up. I mean, did the principal like seeing me show up? What do y'all think? Well, Jean, you were there. She didn't like me showing up, did she? And so I probably had a reputation, but here's the deal. I don't care if I have a reputation for meddling. I'm stepping in if my child's being mistreated or my child's hearing the wrong thing. But, but today it's even worse. I wasn't worried about, you know, all this gender fluidity stuff coming out in, you know, elementary school at Bethel or, you know, Malden Middle or Malden High School. But it is today, you better know who their teacher is, and you need to ask them, what are you being said? Don't scold them because they heard it, but then you got to show up. Is it going to make you popular? No! It's not going to make you popular. But it's going to enable you to stand righteous on truth. But you don't go in there mean. You don't go in there ugly. But you go in there... And you speak. Are you standing on the truth that you have been taught? I need to learn more. Well, let's get started then. Are you taking advantage of the teaching of trusted people? See, that's the principle here. Identify trusted people because there's all kinds of teaching. I mean, I do a little bit here on Sunday morning. That's not enough for you. I mean, I, listen, I do know this. That, that you retain 5% of what I say. <laughs> and maybe if you fill out the outlines, it gets to eight. But I'm not, I mean, I'm not fooling myself, but, but you need more. And so we have some gifted teachers and leaders and community groups. We have classes, we have seminars, we have podcasts, we have so many things, so many ways you can learn. The reason we do recreation in this church is not to teach people how to kick a soccer ball, teach kids. It's to put kids together who have a common value of Christ. It may be their parents' value, may not even be theirs yet. But they're led by someone that knows and loves Christ. It's not a Bible study lecture when they're playing a sport. But there's that, that subtle thread. And all the coaches have that commonality. And it puts these kids together with other kids who come from families that care about that. And with the coaches and leaders that care about that. And the hope is that, is that we sustain them before they're born again. But you have to do it, parents. You have to do it. Because they don't know yet. They don't have the discernment. They're not born again yet. But what we're doing is we're preparing them to receive salvation. You see? And if we don't teach our children God's truth and allow other trusted people to, you know, there are some godly teachers. Thankfully, still here in Greenville, you can find some really godly Christian teachers that don't hold back and coaches too and you know community group leaders adult volunteers and, and student ministry and children's ministry on Sunday morning um, adventure week is coming that's a good step it's a great fun week we do a tremendous blowout we haven't you know we haven't had it when we went through that virus period whatever that was now we don't know for sure but 
Adventure Week begins June 13th at 6.30 p.m. Sign up your kids. Volunteer yourself. It's a way a child can begin to hear something about Christ in an attractive way. You hear what I'm saying? Plant seeds of truth. Because once they hit 17, 18, you're going to regret not, not planting the seeds when their hearts and minds were soft and fertile and you had access. Because in later years, you don't. When people we trust tell us good news about Jesus and the Bible, we accept it. Doesn't mean we're born again from it, but, but I never I wasn't born again. Y'all know this until I was a senior in college. But I never rejected my mother's Bible, my mother's Christ, my mother's God. Never. He wasn't mine. But he was still real. You tracking with me here? Because I knew this woman that poured him into my heart. I watched her. I, there was no question about what she believed. And it showed even though it wasn't my belief yet. But it can, it can become confirmed in our lives. When we, when I had a personal experience, when our children have personal experiences, you can't make your kids saved. Jamie, I know you want to. But you can plow that heart in preparation. You can plow that heart in preparation. The reliability of God's truth is also reinforced by reflecting on personal experience. Verse 16. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second coming, see? Because that's what these false teachers are rebutting. So basically, you guys are off the hook. Do what you want to do. You know you're going to heaven. He's not coming back. He's, nobody's, you know. Doesn't that sound like today? Do what you want, and God will love to, would love to have you. There's a piece of that that's true, but it's twisted. God does forgive, but forgiveness will always, be, will always manifest repentance. You see? And a desire to be in relationship Peter's preaching was true. It wasn't something that he made up. He learned what he taught from the, his personal experience with Jesus. He wit, Peter witnessed Jesus' ministry personally, and, and what he saw, what he heard, what he watched confirmed Jesus' divine identity. Continue in verse 16. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father. I told you glory is a Greek word, doxa. And I said it's otherness. Now, it, it, it is translated as brilliance or brightness. But even then, that bright light is a representation of his character. That's why I tend to say it's, he's other than us. But, but literally, people translate it as a bright, bright splendor or brilliant splendor. But it's just, he's just not a guy, even a good guy. He's other. He's different. 
he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. All right, there was two times it was said. Tell me when. What were the two times? Baptism. Mount of Transfiguration. Is it behind me? No. Sometimes y'all cheat. Well, it does say it right there. We ourselves heard that voice when he was with him on the holy mountain. So I'll still give you credit, but you only get a tarnished star. Um, God spoke these similar words, like I said, at those two junctures, uh, at his baptism, at his transfiguration. But, of course, this is a reference to the transfiguration. And it appears in the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke that all tell the same story. John has a gospel, but it doesn't repeat the exact same story. John's thrust is to prove that Jesus is the Christ. So it's a little different. It touches a lot of the same subjects, but not in exactly the same way. But, But remember, during that transfiguration, Jesus' appearance was transformed. His face glowed. His, his clothes became white. And two people appeared on that mountain. Who were they? Okay, what did Moses represent? The law. Oh, good. Is it back there? Oh, look at y'all. Okay, so, so what did Elijah represent? The prophets. But, but it, that's a shorthand way of saying all the scripture, the law and the prophets. And so what you had on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then this bright cloud overshadowed them, and the, faith, the voice came, and he said, um, be, be, you know, this is my son whom I love. And so they represented the law and the prophets, and they both endorsed Jesus as the Messiah. So you have all of the old scripture in this supernatural physical transformation that became irrefutable proof that Jesus was divine. Not only did he, did he change in his appearance, did he project this light and this brilliance, but here's Moses who represents the law and is honored by all the Jews. Here's Elijah, the greatest of all prophets. They're speaking to him. So their presence said, this, he is the Messiah. He fulfills all that we've said. Jesus' majestic splendor pointed to his prophesied future messianic role. And part of that teaching, not just New Testament, Old Testament, was that he would return as the Messiah and usher in the kingdom of God. So Peter's defending that, that Jesus is coming. And we saw evidence from Moses and Elijah's presence. Now, we don't have the advantage of seeing Jesus personally in human form. But we have a greater advantage. What is it? Now, how could that be better? Who am I looking for? Let's see. How could that be better? Jesus said, it's better that I go. What? Well, because he said it. I like that in a way. But, but... 
He's in us. See, when Jesus was on earth, he was what? He was a physical man, limited to one place. If he went over around the corner, the guy standing here couldn't see him, couldn't hear him. He couldn't affect anything by what he did because he was out of, out of sight, out of earshot. But with the Spirit of God filling us, he's constantly influencing us. And, and you understand that receiving the Spirit is a personal experience. Is that valid? You got it? And the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit's, if you summarize the Spirit's function, it's to point to Christ in every way. And so the Spirit is also referred to as the Spirit of truth. He lives in us permanently. When we believe and are regenerated, we become a new person. You remember that? You remember when you became a new person? Your desires changed. Doesn't mean you became 100% perfect, but you weren't the same. You weren't the same. You didn't want the same things. You didn't act the same way. People that looked at you and knew you thought, what happened to you? I told y'all, when I was in college and I was born again, some of my old fraternity brothers said, we wish you'd go back to being who you were before. You're not any fun now. They knew a, a distinct difference. I told y'all that story, didn't I? One of them poured beer on my chicken and I punched him and knocked him down. So there was a part of me that wasn't changed yet. But, and then I made him crawl out. He tried to get up. I said, don't you get up. You crawl, you crawl out of this yard or I'm going to kick you. But there was a mean part that it took a little while longer to. It shows now and then. But, but, but then the Spirit teaches us and reminds us of truth within. You see what I'm saying? John 14, John 16. And the Spirit being in you, you can't stay the same. He's transforming you into somebody that looks more like Jesus. That's true, isn't it? I've seen a lot of y'all for years. You're different. You're different. I'm different. Because we are continually being changed and we bear fruit of the Spirit. We don't produce it by self-will. He produces it from within us. Galatians chapter 5. You can summarize it. This is my, this is my opinion, so you, do, you think about it. I think the Spirit's function is to keep us close to Christ. Because sometimes you're depressed, right? Or you're fearful. You may be now, you may think, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder, uh-oh, I may retire, I may not retire. You know, the stock market, um, I may be looking for a job. Can I help you? <laughs> um, but when we're down, the Spirit lifts us up by delivering us into the truth of Christ about our situations. When we're in sin, the Spirit convicts us, so we have to leave it. Again, He brings us close to Christ. And the Spirit is always active and always within. Can you sense Him? Colossians 1.6 This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth 
about God's wonderful grace. And that change is a personal experience with God. You know the word, which is objective, but you've experienced it personally. You see the difference? I knew the word from a being changed through the word of God, empowered by the spirit. See, it's not the word alone. The word alone will guide us. It sort of protects us and carries us if we follow it. But when it's illuminated by the Spirit, it's empowered so that it becomes truth within us. The reliability of God's truth is also reinforced by relying on revelation from God. Verse 19. Because of that experience, which for him was the amount of transfiguration... We have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets uh, because they were represented by Elijah, remember? You must pay close attention to what they wrote for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Does darkness ever defeat light? No. Light always drives out darkness. Until the day dawns now the day is the day of the lord which is the return of jesus who ushers in the kingdom and brings judgment separates the sheep and goats of the saved and the unsaved that he will look at our lives how do we use our lives even after being saved and christ the morning star morning star uh, is means light bringer and there's a planet that's referred to as the morning star who knows astrologers Somebody said it over here. Venus. Yes, very good. And it's called the morning star because Venus precedes the morning sun in the sky. Whoever said it knows it, right? Well, what this is talking about when Jesus is referred to as the morning star, what it means is that we will see him first and he will usher in his kingdom right here on earth. The words of the prophets, you see, guide us until Jesus returns. And it might be today. And he ushers his kingdom on earth. It's overdue, in my opinion. This place is, uh, it's rottening. Then Peter tells us why we can rely on the words of the prophets. Verse 20. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's what we call inspiration. Now, we, y'all can go to sleep right now. This is, this is um, a theological, some theological terms for a few of you that care. We believe in plenary and verbal inspiration. Verbal means the very words were inspired by the Spirit. Plenary means the whole. Now, were those words English that the Spirit inspired? What were they? They're Greek and Hebrew. So you might have some difficulties, but they're very small difficulties in going from Greek and Hebrew to English. But the Spirit also guided the man there were, there were no female authors unfortunately 
but that wasn't my choice. And so um, it included the particular circumstances of those men, but also their personalities. That's why if, if you get used to the Bible, Peter's writings don't read like Paul's and they don't read like James's. You see the men's voices coming through, but yet they were guided in their message and the words by the Spirit. Therefore, their messages are true, reliable, trustworthy, unlike that of the false teachers. Once convinced of inspiration, these believers needed to know the word from God. Not just the word of God, the word from God. But they needed to know it well, and so do you, to be able to recognize and reject this false teaching. Do you know enough of the word to spot it coming? To see it when it enters into your house? What evidence produces, proves that the Bible is supernatural? The first is this. Look at Romans. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the good news about Christ. The fact that the word of God regenerates you. No, no Bible can do that. I mean, no book can do that. No writing of a human can do that. They may give you some insight, encourage you. It can't regenerate you and change you into a new person. The Bible is the only source of information, in fact, about salvation and eternal life. So people cut this out. I don't like this. I don't like what this says about who should be married. I don't, lo I don't like what this says about, um, about sex. I don't like what this says about um, other issues, moral issues. I'm cutting that out. I'm cutting the other. This is the only source we have about eternal life. So if, if you're going to cut out everything else it says about who God is and what's right and what's wrong, you can't rely on the few verses you want to keep because you've destroyed the very document that was given to us by the Spirit that teaches us not only about salvation, but teaches us who God is and from God what's right, what's considered moral, what's considered immoral. Second Timothy, all scriptures inspired by God is useful to teach us what's true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Do you believe the Bible's from God? Is that all? Do you believe? Because some days it won't be easy. Like today. Are you convinced it's true? Are you convinced it's true? Don't say it if you're not. If you do, do you follow the guidance of the scripture to determine how you act and what you do? You say, well, I don't know where to find all this stuff in all these books. Get a concordance, that's what it's called. You can look up words. Now, the problem with most concordance is that it only tells you the word that's in the particular version of the Bible. But there is a concordance called a contemporary concordance. And you can look up modern subjects and it'll tell you where to look. You can buy it online. We have to learn the Bible because our culture is saturated with false teaching. 
And that false teaching is persuasive because it appeals to human desires and motivations. In other words, we're needed. Every one of us is needed to stand firm in the truth. Are you willing? Father, I pray that you would help us. Strengthen us in your word because we know it's true. Help us, Lord, to stand firm, not angrily, not in a bad temperament, but directly, honestly, vulnerably, humbly, Lord, so that we might retain your word, your truth, and spread it in our culture today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What are the steps you are taking to stand firm in the truth? One thing to help is this week's spiritual practice, which can be found on the Brookwood Church app in the discussion guide. It encourages us to find the essential beliefs of Brookwood on the website, which is brookwoodchurch.org beliefs. Spend time reading those beliefs and the scripture references. Then ask God to reveal his truth to you as you read and reflect on these beliefs. Next week's episode is focused on moms as we celebrate Mother's Day. At Brookwood Church, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. If you like this podcast, leave a review so others can experience how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.